Welcome back to the Urban Girl Corporate World Podcast. I'm your dopest hostess with the mostest, Nicole, and I'm thrilled that you chose to get over the hump this week with me. Today, I have another very special guest, Mr. Walt Randall. Welcome, friend. Hey, how you doing, Nicole? I'm good. How are you? Doing amazing. That's good. Now, I do call all my guests special, but... You're special, special, okay? Okay. <laughs> and let me tell you why. So, first of all, you wear a gazillion hats and you do many things, all of them impressive. I'm going to see if I can do a rundown. And, like, this isn't even plugged. This is really me trying to run these off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. So, first and foremost, you're the CEO of Lounge Studios. Mm-hmm. And Lounge Studios is a collective of, in my opinion, high-end recording studios in New York City where you've had amazing A-list artists such as myself. <laughs> of um, course. <laughs> of course. Mariah Carey, Marsha Ambrosius, Solange. I mean, it, pretty much everybody has either been mixed or recorded there. Yes. You're also the CEO of a record label, Randall House. Correct. Yep. You also are a tech innovator, creator, and patent holder as CEO of Wraith Audio. Yep. Recently. And yes, very recently. And congratulations Thank on that you. patent. And then, uh, are you still doing the A&R piece? Yeah, so we we actually are uh, still doing, well, I'm not with Atlantic anymore doing the A&R piece. We decided to um, go the independent route and uh, because we had a lot of things that I felt like got turned down uh, yeah. that, we, that we shot. And so we figured it would be a lot more conducive to shop to who we wanted to and not be uh, confined by the contract. Well, don't be bound. Another boss move. And mm-hmm. did I miss anything? I know you're currently um, expanding your real estate footprint as a basis for for future ventures in New York City. But anything else that I miss? Um, if something comes up while we're talking, I'm sure I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll make a footnote and say, oh, this is one of the things that you missed. But that well, sounds pretty much like five, it. Yeah, even with those five things, you are literally the epitome of a whole boss, and I am just so here for it. And I'm so grateful that you chose to come and hang out with me this week. So to give a little bit of perspective, Walt and I met at an industry event back in ooh, 2008. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I definitely remember that. That was uh, which, lab- which label was that? Um, I'm not sure what label it was, but... Uh... I, I went there with, uh, there was a guy named Omar Grant, and um, he was with EMI at the time. I think he was mm-hmm. the, one of the creative coordinators or something. He was like our creative director at, uh, for Urban at EMI. And it was one of the very few times that I've, I've come out. And it was really because he was like, yo, Walt, you, you're coming this time regardless. And that's it. Yep, that's yeah. it. I remember Ryan Leslie was performing that night, and that was the first time I had like heard of him. I had absolutely no idea who he was, but you and I connected that night. We ended up having a meeting later, and what I learned was that you were building out a business plan. I happened to be just, I just had moved back to New York City. I was working as an accountant, and I think we kind of just linked up on, on me doing some very light accounting support for that business plan. Then years later, 
um, we started working together or better stated, I started building out what we call your invoicing system for lounge studios. Mm-hmm. And we've pretty much been connected ever since. Yes. And I needed that at the time because uh, <laughs> I was behind in billing and it was so just uh, a mess because just because yeah. I wear a lot of hats doesn't mean that I'm the best mm-hmm. at all of them. It's okay. I got you back. Mm-hmm. But I will say over the past 10 years, you know, being able to to be connected with you, I've literally bore witness to you match mapping out almost every one of your business. I remember when you were expanding lounge from one studio to now, how many is it? Four? Yeah, we have four recording studios now. Yep. And uh, mm-hmm. four recording studios in the building. Yes. On four different floors. Yeah. yeah. I remember you had the notebook with the squares and you would like draw it out. <laughs> <laughs> then oh, the business man. plan uh, that I worked on with you when we met, that was for Randall House, the the, the label. Yes. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. That takes me back. Yeah. I was trying yeah. to take over the, the recording industry back then, too. Mm-hmm. But before we even all of that, let's talk about how you got to today, because one of the most interesting pieces of your story that that I can appreciate is that the music industry wasn't even your plan A. Tell me about, tell me about how you got here. Okay. Well, um, wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Pretty broad, but I I got here, um, because I was always interested in music. I mean, my plan A in life probably was, uh, was probably football because, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a, a scholarship, a full scholarship uh, to play ball and actually ran track. And, you know, I was a state champ in football in high school and in track in high school. So I always loved to be competitive. Uh, but my sophomore year, I ended up tearing my ACL at my school. Mm-hmm. And I tore it again my junior year. And then I tore it again like a third time when I was mm-hmm. recovering. So, uh yeah. That third tear, I think, was when I and I was talking to, you know, some of the doctors and they were like, you know, we're working on it since it's the same knee. uh, It might be a problem like later on in life for you if we keep, you know, trying to reconstruct this knee. And uh, I think that was the first time that I started thinking a little bit outside of football. uh, Mm -hmm. And I think that's what sort of made me propel me into like thinking like, oh, what else is there? Because. Um, I'm very uh, faith based, like uh, I believe in God and I believe uh, that uh, my steps are ordered and uh, and I have uh, a really like strong trust in, in that. And I, I was brought up with that. So when I toured that third time and I, you know, I talked to the doctors, it wasn't I didn't have uh, the crisis that a lot of other athletes have when they realize like, oh, my gosh, I might not be able to make it to, you know, the NFL or the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that crisis didn't happen. It really just became like uh, God must have something else for me because that's you know what I was always told and taught. Like, oh, you know, if one thing doesn't work out, it's because God had something else. So my immediate thought was like, what else do I love? What else do I have a passion for? Mm-hmm. And when I sat down for that first time and really thought about it, I realized like I really didn't have a passion for football. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. I think I really enjoyed track better, but I had a the hunger I had was for competition and I never realized it until I had to sit down and think about it. And, uh, so I had a hunger for competition. So I knew that. And so I didn't feel like I was losing a lot because I didn't feel like I was losing my passion, you know, in losing football. Um, that being said, I started to think about what else do I love? And I always love music. 
And, you know, I had even gotten like keyboards for Christmas, you know, growing up and I would write raps and stuff and be somewhat of a rapper. So uh, I I decided that I was going to not get my knee fixed again Mm -hmm. and went in and held a meeting with my coach. Because when you sign a scholarship, it's really a five year scholarship and they can't take it from you if Mm -hmm. you get hurt. And but I made the decision, like I told my coach, like, listen, um, I'm not going to get another surgery. Um, and they supported me. They paid for my last year of school. And uh, and wow. that's when I sort of started my, my journey <laughs> of uh, nice. ending up in New York. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I, that I always find fascinating that about your story that really resonates with me is some of the things that I've identified or had to learn in my own path. And that's definitely built on faith, trusting the process and understanding that no's are definitely gateways to, to bigger yeses. I remember Mm -hmm. a few years ago, there was a crossroads you had came to where you were approached to exclusively reserve one of your spaces and you had to choose between a major label. It may have been Atlantic and King B. So tell me about how that situation worked itself out. Okay. So, yeah. So I had, you know, when we first met, I just had one room in the city um, Mm -hmm. and it was in Midtown and it was really popping. Like pretty much even when we met, you know, I was all the industry people were coming here. Um, We were completely booked out. uh, And so I knew I was going to have to expand pretty soon. And when I started to expand uh, something, uh, another one of those situations where I had a no for one space that was smaller turned into a yes for a bigger space. (laughs) I remember that. Yeah. So I got this bigger space, you know, with this crazy view of the city. And uh, of course I didn't think I could afford it at the time, but you know, that never stopped me before. And um, I started, I started building those spaces out. uh, And when I started building those spaces out and I got one of the smaller spaces done, we were working with at that time Solange. Uh, we were working with uh, another family member. Her name was Angie. She was signed with EMI. Uh, Solange was actually signed with EMI at the time. And we were working with Ingrid, which was another, I believe, was one of their cousins who had done work with Beyonce. Mm. Um, and then we were just, we were working pretty much. I was working with Matthew Knowles also at the time. Uh, with, I forgot the name of uh, the management company he had at the time. Um, but those were all independent. They were, they were all separate from each other. Like I didn't get one from the other. They all came to me in in different lanes, which was pretty cool. And then I think when they realized like, hold on, we got a lot of people working here. Uh, one of the management team for, uh, for Beyonce, uh, said they might be interested in, in getting a spot. Uh, and I talked to them and, you know, what do you need to make this happen? And, you know, one of the things was they needed to have private bathrooms, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was thrilled and I went through the process of, you know, um, negotiations with the building to see if we can get a private bathroom for the floor for our space, our new space. And during that time, uh, another thing happened because we were so known in the industry, uh, Atlantic came to us, Atlantic Records came mm-hmm. to us and wanted to do an exclusive deal with us where they just like had the studio as their headquarters and it would be exclusively theirs. And when they came to me the first time I actually turned them down mm-hmm. because I was always, I was still in the process of trying to figure out if I can make this thing work with uh, Beyonce's team. And 
uh, long story short, we couldn't get the bathroom situation handled through the building. And I had sort of moved on. I had, I was just, you know, ready to finish building and yeah. just make it a commercial spot. But Atlantic came back um, wow. later on and offered like more money and just really came back really wanting to do the deal. And, uh, and that's how the whole Atlantic thing came together. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Definitely pretty amazing. Thank you. So one of the other points of consistent in our stories or something that you, you may not even realize, but you just mentioned in the story you just told and so many of our biggest opportunities are connected to or the result of partnerships and relationships that we have with other folks that are like-minded, tenacious, and all the good things that make us who we are. I mean, look at our story, right? I started putting things into Excel for a business plan that later led to creating invoicing. And and now the opportunity to work with you on Wraith is just like mind-blowing and amazing. Tell Mm -hmm. me about the strategies that you use to build trust and relationships because I've always noticed that it's something you do well with both your clients, your executives, and your team. I guess that question, that that answer is a little more complicated because... I guess from the outside looking in, it seems like, and I could see how, because we have a very family-oriented atmosphere um, mm-hmm. at my studios. You know, everybody who comes here says that, like, oh, my gosh, everybody's, you know, so nice. Uh, I guess I can start by saying that even when I had one room before I was, you know, as big, before there was a Justin Bieber here or, uh, you know, any of these other huge guys here, um, before we were doing Solange's albums, um, when I was just starting to like get into the door of doing uh, major writers and producers and one or two major artists, uh, the one thing that I realized and I knew was different because of the reactions I would get was I would always treat my small clients, quote unquote, uh, the guys who just had regular nine to fives, who it was their passion to come and record equally mm-hmm. as some of the big guys that were coming in. And even though it was a new thing for to get these big people to come in, um, I didn't want to, you know, sour the relationship with these clients that were really my bread and butter. Uh, mm-hmm. So one of the ways that, that it showed was, uh, or that I would show this is that, you know, the big labels would call and be like, oh, we have this big person coming in and we need this time slot. And if the time slot was taken, um, by, uh, you know, a, a independent artist, uh, I wouldn't give it to him. I would be like, Oh, that, that slot is taken. They'd be like, Oh, this, you know, this is an emergency, you know, who's in there, who's the artist. And I would, you know, tell them like, Oh, you don't know the artist is not anybody big. Mm. And they were like, Oh, you can't move the session. Nope. And I would be like, well, I can offer for you to pay for the session, but it would still be up to them if they wanted to accept the payment to move or not. Okay. And I remember in the beginning, like, the labels used to be like, oh my gosh, like it was the most annoying thing to them. And, uh, and, but it was my thing. Like it was something that I felt comfortable with. I wasn't, and that's, I think when they say be true to yourself, like, you know, no matter how big you get or how, or when you're trying to reach your goals, you have to, there's certain lines that you shouldn't cross if you don't feel comfortable just to move up, uh, because you'll move up at the right pace. And to, to example of that, like just, to show like, so years down the line, I mean, that was, that was back maybe in, you know, 2006, five, six, seven, where those type of situations were happening. But when we just talked about the Atlantic situation, when we ended up finally doing this, you know, seven figure deal, uh, 
and they were asking around about me. Uh, one of the head guys, a few of the head people, they were asking who had worked with us at, uh, from EMI uh, vouched for me. And they were like, yo, this guy is a trustworthy guy. And they actually referenced that I would not move sessions for the big artists, for the little artists. And that just showed how stand-up of a guy I was. And I think mm-hmm. that played a big part in me not only getting the Atlantic contract, but they also, that was supposed to be a, a contract that paid over a period of time. And they actually just ended up paying me that contract up front. And so it was because I think they realized, like, this is a guy of his word, of integrity. And because of that, uh, they they saw the value in, like, oh, this is a good guy. He uh, is going to treat us right, and we're going to make sure we we, uh, take care of him. I love that. So thinking about how you choose to run your business, there's a CEO of a Fortune 500 company um, and he listed five contributors um, or strategies to his success. And there was one that always stood out to me and it was think like an owner. And that really was the basis for me reaching out to you to feature you on the Urban Girl Corporate World podcast. Tell me what does thinking like an owner mean to you and how has that contributed to your path to success? Um. To me personally, like I'm not sure what, what what the other person said, but to me, thinking like an owner is almost the same way I've learned to sort of think about life. Um, mm. To me, it's about evolving. Like if you can't evolve, learn and evolve, like outgrow even the most staunch opinions that you've had of things by listening mm. to other reasonable arguments uh, right. or reasonable opinions. Um, then you get stuck and you get stagnant. And that's like life and it's like in business because you, you'll get stuck in business. You'll be like, oh, no, everything is good. I've been doing it like this for 10 years here. And, and you'll be blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, and you'll be blockbuster. And, and you won't grow and you won't even see it. It'll just hit you out of the blue. That's but right. the one way I know uh, to be able to, to you know, avoid that type of situation is being open to listening to things. Even when you feel like, you know, always listening and you can always uh, argue your point, but make sure when you go back home and you, or you have a long time or self-reflecting time, you can think about what the other person said and take the valuable pieces of what they said and see if they can apply to you some kind of way. Um, And that's the same thing with life. Like who wants to be stuck as the same person and not growing and learning? Um, Mm. It's the same thing. Like I, I, as my life grows, you know, I want my business to grow. As my business grows, I want my life to go. As my life evolves, I want my business to evolve. Like if I never evolved, I would still be a child. I would, I would not have a family. I would not have a child. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't be able to expand my businesses. If I was stuck in one way, well, I've had one studio for seven years. Why do I need two? Why do I need three? Right. Why do I need four? Why do I need to get into podcasts? Why do I need to get into tech? Why do mm-hmm. I need to get into these, to these, to a record label? I mean, you have to always be looking for the next opportunity to grow and expand your horizon in life and in the business. Absolutely. So speaking of business, from my seat, I feel like we live in a society where everybody just wants everything instantaneously. And now that we have social media, right, we're constantly bombarded Mm -hmm. with images of people's highlight reel. Like we see all the wins, all the wins, but nobody's really telling like the story behind the scenes and all the struggle and sacrifice that it took 
to get there. I've, I've read a quote. It was just like most overnight successes have been in business for 10 years or something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I remember yeah. Power mm-hmm. 105 interviewed you and you said something mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly agree with. And it was something along the lines of like everybody wants the win, but not everybody wants the work. So mm-hmm. tell me, what are some of the most challenging setbacks that you faced throughout your entrepreneurship journey and what helped you overcome them? Okay. So yeah, I can, <laughs> there's two ways I can go about that. I can go about like giving you some really in detail ones, or I can, I think what I'll do is I'll give you a whole bunch of small ones, but just like cause and effect. Really okay. quick. <laughs> um, so, uh, let's start super early on. Uh, I'm here. Uh, I get here. I save up the money by working at a juvenile uh, jail Mm-hmm. to save up money to get a space here. I came here with $50. Yeah. And after saving up that money for months and months, I find a space on 125th Street. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be the new spot. The Clintons had just came here. And it was, you know, this new, and it was in the same building as the Jazz Museum. And I paid my deposit and went in there and thank God, like, oh, man, this is amazing. I have a spot in the city and this is the new place, 125th Street. Mm-hmm. Just to find out a week later that they didn't have 24 hour access, uh, mm-hmm. which I need as a recording studio. Oh, yeah. But I guess my agent had uh, <laughs> neglected to mention. Um, and I had a, a meeting with the owners of that building and I prayed to God like, Oh God, please let this, you know, let this work out. Let them see that I'm a good person. And they'll give me 24 hour access. But then <laughs> I was like, you know, let your will be done though. whatever. I know you got mm-hmm. whatever. And I had this meeting and they were like, Oh, you know, you're such a good guy. You're exactly the type of tenant we want, but we just don't want it to be a 24 hour building. Mm. So as soon as I had my that first success in New York, I had it taken away from me that fast. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the first thing that I had saved up my money for was buying a space and it was taken that fast from me. Wow. Um, but on the flip side of that, I ended up firing my agent and just looking on my own. And I found a place where I'm at now for the last 17 years in Midtown and a place where I didn't think I could afford. And right. I could have never grown like I wanted to grow in Harlem. That's right. How I've grown here in Midtown. So, and it's crazy because like, you're why. you're like right in like the hub of where like most of the big studios were. Oh yeah, all the labels are by me. I mean everything. Mm-hmm. We're we're right and centrally located. I mean this is the only spot to be. That's like, right. Like I wouldn't be able to get a quarter of the the work that I get here or the mm-hmm. quality of work. That's right. You know. Um, another instance is shortly after that. Well, not shortly, but I I got the space and I'm. I'm building these by myself. I, I didn't have a team of people. I couldn't afford it. So I would go to work during the day, save up my money, uh, get wood and build as I could. And it took a process. But building, I would be putting up the ceiling and floating up the floor. And there was a time when there was this big piece of ceiling. I was trying to hold up with one hand and screw it in with the other hand. And I was on the top of this tall ladder, 15 foot ceilings. And I kept falling. I fell like three times. And on the third time I fell, like I, I landed on the ground each time it hurt it, but you know, I'm a pretty big guy. <laughs> um, and it would hurt when I would fall. And the, the third time I just felt like, Oh, I can't do this anymore. And I remember I was on the ground and I cried. And after just crying a little bit, just like, Oh my gosh, like I can't do this. I realized like I have no choice but to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, and each time I would fall, like the piece, this big piece that I cut out specifically for this piece of the ceiling would break and I would have to remeasure and recut it and redraw it out and re, and that third time after I had to cry about it and just sort of let it out and realize like, yo, I ain't got no choice. 
uh, I put it back up. And um, those little things, like those little struggles, mm. like are the ones that are like so prominent in my mind. Yeah. Um, and there have been a, a million like different struggles just like that, like the whole way through. And I guess like the moral of the story with that is just realizing that as far as with me and my journey, there's always highs and lows. Like mm. this week, last week, last month, right. there's always lows. There's always times where uh, I'm going to feel like I want to give up or I'm going to feel like, what am I doing? And the, not even so much give up, but just like, what the hell am I doing? You know, what's going on? And uh, having to force myself to get back into a place of just moving with a purpose because there's ups and downs. And that's one of the things that I've had to learn through the years. It's not like uh, everybody's this. I, I was trying to be this perfect person who never had downs. Like, Oh, I can just win. I can just win. I can just win. And everything I do, I'm going to win. And everything I'm never going to be. That's, that's not reality. Um, everybody's going to have these lows where they're not going to want to get out of the bed because things aren't going right. They're going to want to hide under the sheets or hide under the bed or, you know, just not face the world someday. It's like, I deal with that and I expect to deal with it in the future. It's not something that I'm, I run from, but it's something that I try to realize and ingrain in myself that I have that. But what are the ways to get out of that? Is it through prayer? Is it, it through, is it through uh, talking to God a little bit more? Is it getting into the word a little bit more? Is it talking to family and friends a little bit more uh, and, and letting them know about where I'm at in the, in the headspace I'm at? So those are the things that I'll concentrate on more now than saying like, oh, God, take these times away from mm. me. It's more like, God, help me remember how I got out of the last time I was right. in a little bit of a funk or, you know. So, you know, when the trouble comes and when the downs come, uh, I feel like I have a way to deal with better deal with them now and still still learning and still growing and figuring out better ways. Right. but not ever thinking like these times will ever go and not necessarily even wanting them to go because when it's bright, it feels so good after being cold. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's real talk. All right. So I got a bunch of gems from you. I'm, I'm going to run through them all. So we've got faith as a foundation. Trust mm-hmm. the process. The small mm-hmm. customer's time is just as valuable as the big customer's time. Stay yes. true to yourself. Be open to listen always evolve and learn and you can't get to the mm-hmm. highs without the lows. Yep. Sounds mm-hmm. good. Well, that- I need to take notes on your <laughs> notes. <laughs> Put that as a poster. And that's that on that. I don't know if there's anything else to say, but what I will tell you is I'm so glad that you uh, made the time to drop some gems on this podcast. And I truly believe that, again, the same strategies that drive success in entrepreneurship do it in the corporate space as well. I just want you to know I appreciate you. I love everything you do, what you stand for, and just how you've always supported me. You're amazingly inspiring. Thank you. And I just can't thank you. you. I can't wait to see everything Mm -hmm. that lies ahead for you and everything well, you'll be a part of some of these things, some of the things going you know, forward. So you, you'll be able to witness. Absolutely. I look forward to it. All right, y'all. That's it for this week's episode. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Urban Girl Corporate World. And be sure to turn in next week for more lessons learned, money earned. Girl, you got it. Girl, you got it. Girl, you got it.
Girl, you got it. Girl, you got it.